Dragnets. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about eight minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater program 405 in the series. It's July 20th, and to my right is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. What's going on? We have Shante Garth back from vacation. Great to have you back, Shante. Definitely. And uh, we have some amazing radio broadcasts for our listeners this weekend. We're going to start things off with an hour-long suspense. And I'm not sure if we've ever aired an hour-long suspense for a while, for about one season. Suspense moved from 30 minutes to a full hour, and we have a sci-fi drama for you of Donovan's Brain, hour-long show starring John McIntyre. Then after that, it's Groucho Marx on You Bet Your Life. Good uh, quiz show from 1950. But first, we're going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? The celebrity of our one is going to be Alan Alda. And we are going to give away the very exciting desktop indoor weather station. Everybody loves the indoor weather station. I don't love it because I don't have one. I love mine. So I wish I had some clout around here and get one. I but know. I wish you did, too. No it would help me out. whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, we're going to go with caller number three. Yeah. Call right now. 312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Come on, baby. We have Kathy on the phone to play the game with us. Hey, Kathy. Hi. How are you? Just fine. Terrific. Thank you. How Glad are you? I'm good. Carl, how are you? Oh, anyways, <laughs> um, we're, we're going to do a little. Good. He's good. Hi, Kathy. Uh, we're going to do a little Hi. Alan Alda, Real or Ridiculous. We're going to start with the first one. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for The Aviator. Is that real or ridiculous? What do you think, Kathy? I don't remember him in the Aviator, but I, I'll say ridiculous. He he was in the Aviator, but I don't think he was nominated. No. So you're saying I'm it, the game is real or ridiculous? I'm agreeing with Kathy. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, you shouldn't agree with Kathy what? this he time. He was nominated. He absolutely was. What? How do you like that? Uh. <laughs> All right. Oh wait, wrong one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of buttons here, Kathy. There's at least three. All right, number two. Before MASH, he served a six-month tour in Korea as part of the Army Reserve. Real or ridiculous? (laughs) Carl's shaking his head. (laughs) He can be a lifeline if you need some help. Is he shaking his head no? Uh, No, I don't think so. He is. Okay. But you shouldn't agree with me because I stink at this game, though. Kathy, uh, don't agree with Carl. Okay, no. let's say real. Let's okay, say that's real. better. All right, so I'll say real. <laughs> no, you can't change your mind. All right, so Kathy's right. That is absolutely correct. He did do that. And here's for me. Gosh, All right, let's let's try game. again. This is the last one. You have a chance to redeem yourself. Let's it. change it. He's the only person to win acting, directing, and writing Emmys for the same program. Is that real or ridiculous? I will guess real. 
I think he did, but you're saying he's the only person that that's ever... That to, I said to win acting, directing, and writing Emmys for the same program. Up to that time? Because it would have to have been MASH if he did. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's been a lot of... I don't know. I'm going to say ridiculous. It's real. Ah, but I'm sure other people have since then. Well, not for, according to my research. Mm. You can prove me wrong. But, Kathy, um, I don't know. He won an acting, directing, and writing Emmy for MASH. All of the above. That's pretty remarkable. I think Kathy got them all right, didn't she? She was so close. Maybe just the first one, but Man. she got two. But either way. Here's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, we are so excited to send you a desktop indoor weather station brought to you by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling. They are the 60-minute man. You can visit AmericanWeathermakers.com. Thank you so much Thanks, for playing. Kathy. I hope you love your weathermaker. Thank you. Way Thank to you go. Take care. I'm going to call on all of our listeners here. Text us in 312-981-7200. We love getting texts for you, but I'm certain somebody since MASH has won an Emmy for writing, directing, and starring. Is that what you said? No, I said act. Well, acting, directing, yeah, and writing. Acting, directing, and writing. One for the same show. I'll bet you there's been other people that have won that since Mash. And if so, let us know. Then I get to take back this. <laughs> We'll see how that goes for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we have an hour-long episode of Suspense for you. Donovan's Brain. This was actually done twice on Suspense. One time it was done in two half-hour installments, one week apart. And Orson Welles played the role. Um, This is an hour-long version with John McIntyre, and it's from February 7th, 1948. We will play this in four parts. Here's part one of four on uh, Suspense. Suspense. An hour of suspense. A full 60 minutes at this time with the distinguished actor-director, Mr. Robert Montgomery, as your host. Tonight, our star, Mr. John McIntyre. Our story, Donovan's Brain. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed William Spear. Mr. Montgomery. The man across the table was talking about shaved heads and electricity, and I was listening. I'll have to admit it, I'm pretty much of a layman when it comes to things like that. I imagine you are, too. But the man I was talking with was a specialist. I sought him out after we decided on our suspense play for tonight. As you know, we're doing Donovan's Brain, and the man across the table who discussed shaved heads and electricity with such final authority was an eminent brain surgeon. Now, I don't know very much about the human brain. I have one, and I use it occasionally, I hope. But I leave the clinical knowledge up to the brain specialists, like the man across the table. To this man of science, I posed the momentous question, what about the brain? And he started in. Your brain, he said, is something less than 2.5% of your total body weight. There's no relation between the weight of your brain and your intelligence. There's no relation between the size of your brain and your intelligence. So we threw out size and weight and talked about what you could tell about a person's intelligence simply by looking at his brain. And it develops, you can tell quite a lot, by looking. An intelligent person's brain is more complex in appearance than a stupid person's. It has more grooves and depressions, 
convolutions, he called them. Well, that was all right with me. I was nodding my head in agreement when it occurred to me quite suddenly that this didn't mean very much, not really. Because I can't look at somebody's brain, even if I wanted to. You can't either. We have to depend on other ways of judging people's intelligence, on how they act, what they say, what they do. The brain specialist told me about that, too. He said the brain acts as a storehouse for our knowledge. It also is the power that directs that knowledge. So when we act, we are merely putting direction to what we know. How a man acts, the direction he takes, is his own decision. It's an individual matter. And that interests me. The highly intelligent, highly moral lawyer and the deceptively crafty, highly immoral crook may well have the same amount of knowledge, but the way each directs his knowledge is entirely different. Why? Psychological fiber. That's what the brain man called it. Your psychological fiber is either weak or it's strong, so far as the pressures of living are concerned. If it's strong, the worries, the fears, the tragedies of life can't throw you off your course, can't influence your direction. But if it's weak, these same worries and fears and tragedies take on exaggerated proportions. You lose your sense of direction, and the result is fixation or obsession or insanity. Our play tonight is concerned with the brain, the man who directs it, and what happens to his psychological fiber. It is the story of Dr. Patrick Corey and Donovan's brain, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense! As I sit now outside my laboratory door, writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter. And for those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully. From its first entry on that ill-starred day of December the 5th. December 5th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory, and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. But I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream, which would throw off my observations. So, I fed it bananas and raw egg, and finally, the creature laid its head against my shoulder. I stabbed it with a surgical lancet between the occipital bone and the first cervical vertebra. It died instantly. Well, David... What do you think of it? Well, it's... Well, it's pretty amazing, all right. You see what I've done, don't you? Well, I... I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all that, I'm only a second-year medical student. Well, what of it? When I was a second-year medical student... At... Who is it? It's me, Dennis. Patrick, Dr. Schrott is here to see you. Oh. Well, let him come in. Uh, come in, doctor. Thank you. Patrick didn't realize who it was. 
You know my son, David, of course. Oh, of course, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, Doctor. Well, Patrick, hard at work as usual, Patrick, I see. Patrick, you didn't eat the lunch I sent in to you. Or the breakfast, either. I tried to get him to, Mother. Well, I've been terribly busy, Janice. Yeah, but you've got to eat there. I know, I know. Uh, what, uh, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain. What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh, well, what about the brain? Well, I'm trying to see how long I can keep the tissues alive. Is uh, is that it in that jar? Mm-hmm. There's considerably more to it than just a jar, though. You want to see how it works? But well, is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. It's a variation on Carell's mechanical heart. See, the brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These, uh, these rubber arteries are fixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries. Of the brain, and the blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis to feed the tissues. Mm. And uh, over here, I've installed a small pressure pump that forces the blood circulation. See? But how do you know it's alive? Well, that's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. And they can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard here. Turn it on. <laughs> Quite effective, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's effective, and it's it's wrong, Patrick. It's it's terribly wrong. I've tried to tell him, Doctor Schrott. He's trying to discover things that that no man should discover. It's warping his whole nature. He's in here night and day. We hardly even see him anymore. Mother's right in the way, Dad. You're killing yourself with these... Will you leave us, please, Janice? You too, David. Oh, Dad. If you please, David. All right. Come on, Mother. It's wrong. It's wrong. In heaven's name, what's wrong with you? Oh, you and your mechanistic philosophy. Trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick. And you're... You're you're profaning it. Your hands are shaky. Did you have another hard night, Doctor? Oh, you can taunt me if you like. I've made a mess of my life, that's true. But I wouldn't have a part of what you're doing for all the success in the world. Oh, nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. And if I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there. How, how do you know that, that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? Brain tissue itself is insensitive. You know that, Doctor. But as to the feeling, look. I'll switch on the encephalograph. Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays? Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation? Now, notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I, I wouldn't believe it possible. Well, the trouble with you is, Schrott, you really don't believe in science. Yeah, well, have it your own way, Patrick. But when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube, well, uh, I'll be back. Are you leaving? Yes, yes. Patrick. Yes? Uh, uh, do me a favor. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. Let it die? Yes, yes. 
Why, if it were within my power to grant, that little brain would live forever. December 10th. I'm utterly exhausted from lack of sleep, but the events of the past five days have been of such tremendous importance that I must set them down while every last detail is still fresh in my mind. For I've had no time to make an entry in this second, in this record, since the day last week, and it seems months ago now, when I had my first partial success with the brain of the capuchin monkey. At that time, however, it seemed that I was doomed to disappointment. In spite of all my efforts, the brain of the monkey ceased to live at 12.14 that night. Tired and disheartened, I lay down to sleep on the cot in my laboratory. But at that very moment, fate was contriving an occurrence which now seems destined to have the most profound effect not only upon my own existence, but perhaps upon that of all mankind. All right, this is a uh, an interesting story, Donovan's Brain, good sci-fi story from February 7th, 1948, Donovan's Brain on Suspense, John McIntyre starring uh, Robert Montgomery, good old Elizabeth Montgomery's dad, so uh, talents running in that family, bewitched dad on this, all right, let's uh, take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. You know, uh, Robert Montgomery was talking earlier on this suspense episode about people with uh, that are smart have lots of creases in their brain so you must have like is billions it, is it of creases, creases that they were saying whatever like you know uh <laughs> what, what, like road maps and like all kinds of but what was the word that yours must be like but what was the word he used do you remember um like crevices or creases. Like grooves, I grooves. Think. yeah maybe grooves mm-hmm. so yours must be groovy grooves i'm grooved. groovy i am full of grooves man with f- well, how many master's degrees? Twelve. I can't how even. Many I can't even keep track. Have? I have 12, so many groups. 14? I can't keep up. I could just imagine what your brain looks like. It's groovy. Gosh. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, David. We are here every single Saturday and Sunday night, beginning at 11 p.m., playing all your favorite classic radio shows. So make sure that you mark your calendar, tell a friend. This is the WGN Radio Theater. We play Suspense, Jack Benny, The Shadow, uh, The Whistler, Boston Blackie. And You Bet Your Life. Yeah, we have You Bet Your Life. coming up next coming hour. Up. That's right. But right now we're listening to an hour-long episode of Suspense, Donovan's Brain. Here is part two of four. Hello. What is it? Dead. Well, come in, come in. What's the matter? It's Dr. Schrott. Schrott? What in the world does he want? It's two o'clock in the morning. Well, there's been an accident or something. He's pretty upset. What, what of it? Where is he? Well, he went outside again. He's at the laboratory door. Well? All right. Patrick. Oh. Oh, thanks heaven, my boy. Thank heaven. Well, what's the matter? There's... There's been a plane crash on the mountains. Only one of them left alive. I, I brought him this far, but he, he needs immediate operation. And That's your job, your county physician. Patrick. Patrick, it's multiple fractures of both legs. The arteries are severed. The, the legs will have to be amputated. Uh, you're not in any shape to do the job. Well, that's not my fault. Take him to the Phoenix Hospital. I'm not going to take the responsibility. It's too far. 
We'd never get there in time. Now, oh, Patrick, please, please, it may mean a man's life and... and, 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 yes, and, and your job as county physician, huh? I'm not thinking of that. But he's an important man. William H. Donovan. Donovan? The Wall Street Donovan? Yes. Oh, you've got to help me, Patrick. Uh, uh, well, what are his chances? Oh, uh, about even, if we hurry. Well, bring him in. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, my boy. Uh... You better get some things on, David. You may have to help. Oh, sure, Dad. Oh, yeah, David. Thanks. David. Yes, Dad. Uh, don't say anything to your mother. And I don't wish her to be disturbed. Oh, sure, I know. We'll use the laboratory table. Before you go, put the instruments to the sterilizer. And don't forget the Geely saw. Oh, right. Oh, but... But what? Oh, I... I thought the Geely saw was only used for... for brain surgery or not always. Now, hurry. They're bringing him in from the car. Now, Come on, now. Okay, hurry up. Dad. In here now. In here. Careful, please. Put him right there Careful. on that table, please. Yes, Sergeant. Easy. Better get yourself a gown and gloves, Doctor. Uh, right over there. You won't have time to scrub. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Thanks. Well, bad, isn't it? Pulse rapid? Heart very faint? Yeah. I wasn't sure we'd even make it to here. Oh, David. Oh, yes, Dad. Half cc of adrenaline, David. One to one thousand intravenous. Right. You men can go now. Is there anything else? No, no, thank you. Hey, Patrick, Patrick. I'd rather we were alone, if you don't mind. Uh, Good night, then, Dr. Schreiber. Good night, and and thank you. Now, David. David, if you'll remove the blanket from his legs. That's it. Uh Uh-huh. There, you see? Fortunately, a forest ranger got to him right after the crash and had sense enough to put a tourniquet on each leg. But even so... That is saying uh, something like sure, sure, sure. He, he said it over and over. Well, that's funny. He's got a foreign accent. Uh, he's an Armenian, I think. He changed his name to mm-hmm. Donovan. I hadn't realized he was deformed. Well, it doesn't show us much in his pictures. Now, uh, Patrick, I, I think we ought to begin. There's no use amputating those legs. No use. He'll be dead anyway by morning. Well, won't he? Well, I, I, I suppose you're right, Patrick. You but, know I'm right. Uh, but still, we ought to try. Uh, we can't refuse to operate just because. We uh, are going to operate. Syringe, please, David. The large one. Here you are, Dad. Anesthetic. Will you give it, Dr. Yeah, right, right. Scalpel, please, David. And the Geely saw. Geely saw? Patrick! Well? No. No, I won't let you. After your performance tonight? <laughs> but he's still alive. Precisely. My mistake with the monkey was that he was dead. I don't intend to make it again. Come, come, David, the scalpel. Are you out of your mind? You're taking a man's life. I'm giving him life. Donovan won't die anyway. I mean, he would die, of course. But for a while, at least. Donovan's brain will live. Uh, You better hurry. They'll be coming for the body pretty soon. You can go now, David. I I think I will, then. David, uh, you understand, of course. Yes, I understand. Not a word to your mother or to anyone. I understand. Patrick, will the skull... I bandaged the whole cranium. It'll look like any head injury. <laughs> I hope nobody gets any ideas about an autopsy. Oh, the coroner, you can stop that. You drive a hard bargain, don't you, Patrick? You better sign the death certificate before they get here. You know this is blackmail. 
Want a drink? You don't have to do that. I'll find it. I'm sorry, but it was a chance that comes once in a lifetime. William Donovan has one of the greatest minds, has one of the greatest brains in the world today. And now you have it. It's madness, Patrick. You think I won't succeed? Succeed in what? Turn on the encephalograph. Yeah, simple alpha waves, no different from the monkeys. You can't take a human brain out of its body and expect it to function. It never occurred to you that the brain might simply be asleep? Asleep, certainly. Operation like this is a severe shock. Now, tap on the glass. Good Lord, Patrick. Delta waves, it was asleep. You woke it up. It's actually conscious. Yes. There are three of us conducting this experiment now, Shrat. You and me and William Horace Donovan. December 17th. I moved my bed into my laboratory, but I scarcely slept in six days. There can no longer be any doubt that the brain responds like a sensitive seismograph to vibrations near it including the sound of my voice. Yet I found no method of communication with it. I've devised a simplified Morse code consisting of taps on the glass container together with voice vibrations. Perhaps we can teach the brain. December 22nd. Trot has come to stay with me, half out of a feeling that he shares with me a common guilt, half out of scientific curiosity. But I have scarcely seen him, and both David and Janice have been avoiding me. Not that I really care. I have been tapping out my code on the side of the brain's container endlessly, day and night, over and over a thousand times, so that a baby could learn it if the brain can learn. I sleep only when the brain itself falls into exhausted slumber. When it wakes again, I resume my tapping. Patrick, get up! Hurry! Well, what's the matter? Come, something the matter. Come, I want you to see something. Oh, Patrick, you, you, you look like a Hurry. ghost. Where, where are we going? Back to the laboratory. I can't believe it myself. I may have been dreaming. Delirious. What happened? What come, happened? come on. You hear that? The delta waves. Yeah, it seems disturbed. You've got to check my observations for me. My reasoning is wrong. Tell me. I can't be sure of anything anymore. Yes, Patrick, yes. Now, now listen carefully, Doctor. You know I've been trying to communicate with the brain in code. Now, if I were able to cause a distinctive pattern of the brain's delta waves by a specific command in code, if the brain responded with the same pattern of sound each time I issued the command, it would prove that I had succeeded in communicating with the brain, wouldn't it? Yes, Patrick, yes, I, I think it would. Now, listen. Donovan. Donovan. If you understand... Think three times of the word talk. Three times. Talk. 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 He, he answered. 
He had spoke. Try it yourself. Just as I did the same word three times. Donovan. Talk. 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 Then I'm right. It's true. Patrick, this... This thing has learned to talk. December 23rd. Schratz romanticizing, of course. The Delta pattern is so infinitely complex that it would be utterly, utterly impossible ever to break it down into specific words. Yet that it understands me, that it's trying to communicate with me, is certain. Schratz suggests mental telepathy that I try to make my mind a blank, as the mediums call it, while at the same time increasing the energy content in the plasma that feeds the brain in the hope of stepping up the brain's electrical potential, as one would step up the power of the radio station. But naturally, telepathy is nonsense. But the feeding theory intrigues me. I shall try it. December 31st. Notice today, for the first time, two distinct nodules of new brain cells on the frontal lobex. Electrical potential is increased to 510 microvolts. I've begun smoking cigars, although I've always hated them before. Nerves, I expect. January 6th. Nodule still growing. Electrical potential 1450, but with no observable results have lately felt a compelling urge to know more of Donovan's life and have com collected every available scrap of information about him. Strange man, ruthless, actually evil in many ways, but nonetheless an extraordinarily brilliant mind. wake you up, Patrick. You were uh, moaning in your sleep and talking. Talking? What did I say? I'm, I'm not sure, but your voice was so strange that... Janice, uh, Janice uh, what's the matter? Oh, that's nothing. I was dreaming, that's all. Janice woke me up. Patrick. Patrick, let me see your hand. No, 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 no. The other one. What about it? You're, uh, you're not left-handed, are you? I know. Then why have you got ink on the fingers of your left hand? Well, I don't know. Well, were you writing anything tonight? No. Well, you must have been, Patrick. Here it is, right here on your desk. Nonsense. I... Wait. Let me, let me see it. Wait. You've been writing his name. William H. Donovan. Shot. That's not my handwriting. It's... What? What? Well, don't you see what it means? The brain has communicated with me. Patrick, you don't... Look here. Hey, look at this bag. Look at this magazine article. He's a reproduction of his signature. And he was left-handed, too. It says so here. It is. 
It's exactly the same. What a fool I've been. Look at this picture. Smoking a cigar with his left hand. I wondered why I'd suddenly started smoking cigars. And the, the same brand, too. Janice. Janice, try to remember what you heard me saying just before you woke me tonight. Now think. Patrick, I... I can't believe... Think, Janice. All I heard was something like, Sure, sure, sure. Sure, of course. Don't you remember, Shot? He said it that night. It was the only thing we ever heard him say. It was an expression of his. It, it tells about it in one of the articles, too. It, it wasn't your voice, Patrick. You see? Aha, you were right, Shrott. The brain has grown. And it's strong enough to influence not only the higher functions of the frontal lobe, but the speech centers, the motor centers of another brain. Patrick, Patrick, if this is true, then your experiment has been successful. It's ended. Ended? Why, it's only begun. Patrick! Don't you see what this means? Patrick, listen to me. What, Janice? What? You've got to stop. Stop? I can't stand it any longer. Can't you see where it's led you? When you cut yourself off from your family, when you neglected your health and began having fits of temper and were like... like someone I hardly recognize as the man I married. All that I tried to understand. But don't you see what you've done? You're a murderer, Patrick. A murderer! Janice! David told me the whole thing. The poor boy's half insane himself from worry. Insane? What do you mean by that? What I say! You killed Donovan. Maybe he wouldn't have lived anyway. But you killed him. And now this... This thing has gained such power over your mind that it can make you do things you don't even know about. Oh! For all you know, it could make you do... Anything. Anything! You've got to choose, Patrick. Janice, please. I I suppose you're right, but I'm utterly exhausted. I can't even think anymore. You've got to think. Give me until tomorrow. Let me sleep, and then tomorrow I'll do something, I promise. All right, Patrick. But if you don't do something, if you don't destroy that thing, I will! Listen! Listen! Oh, I hate it! Janice, it's almost as though it had heard you and were raging at you. <laughs> Great sci-fi story, Donovan's Brain on Suspense. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. Hey, folks, ever been on a road trip and didn't know where to stop? Well, bestoftheinterstate.com is here to help you find the best destinations and attractions along all U.S. interstates. Head to bestoftheinterstate.com to plan your best road trip yet. Don't guess. Know the best. Bestoftheinterstate.com. All right, Lisa, we are going to break for news. What do you think of that? Um, it's about that time. We've got uh, David Jennings waiting in the wings Yes, here. we do. After the news, we have part three of this four-part hour-long broadcast of Donovan's Brain on suspense. Now, the uh, the writer of this story, Kurt Siodmak, he wrote a novel called Donovan's Brain, and then it was uh, adapted for this radio broadcast. But he also he was a very prolific writer, Kurt Siodmak. He wrote The Wolfman in 1941, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen as a kid. I remember watching it on Creature Feature. Did you think of me? No, I was a kid. I, I know. Didn't, I didn't know you back then. I know, but I'm yeah. just wondering. Yeah. 
Oh, wolf. I see what you're oh. saying. Wolf man. Well, if it was wolf woman, you might have needed a couple extra creases. I in the need brain more creases <laughs> or uh, grooves, as the case may be. And then he he also wrote a movie that maybe you haven't seen, but if you have, you'll know it's very creepy. Called The Beast with Five Fingers. I'll never forget seeing that movie. Don't know. This guy's hand, he's a piano player, and this guy's hand gets cut off, and then the hand is running around all over the place. Very scary. (laughs) The same guy wrote that as well. So he liked creepy. I liked creature features. Yeah, creature features was great. That was great. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, David. So, hey, Roger, thanks for bringing in this x-ray machine here that you just wheeled in. Uh, Roger was kind enough. I don't know where'd you get this, Northwestern? I borrowed it from Northwestern. Okay. He brought in an x-ray machine. We are going to, on this next segment, Mm -hmm. x-ray Lisa's brain. We want to see how many crevices. You're going to count them all? How many grooves there are in her brain. Okay. Might be here all night into the morning. I'm guessing. What's your guess? I'm guessing 20,000. 20,000? That's 20, a lot Roger, of groups. Is it like Price is Right? You can only go up to it, but right. not over. You can't go the over. Before falls off the edge. Right. You know? What do but, you think, Roger? Is so he, is he, does I, that make I sense? I think that we're going with maybe 8,000. Well, they say the more grooves in your brain, the mm-hmm. smarter. And we know that Lisa, whew. Smart. Right, well, no, we're gonna we're gonna post some photos. She's, she's very groovy. We're gonna yeah. post some photos of, of my brain. Yeah. shortly we will post some. Yeah. So, uh, but right now it's uh, time to play our game. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Yes, our celebrity is William Shatner. Yeah, and we're going to be giving away a desktop indoor weather station brought to you by American Weather Makers. Okay. So uh, let's go with caller number six. Number six. Yep. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Caller number. Number six, we'll be right back. And we have Eddie on the phone to play the game. Hi, Eddie. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. How you doing? Hi, Eddie. Doing great. I listen every weekend. Oh, oh that's great. Thank I'm glad you. you made it through. We're going to do a little William Shatner. Here we go. Number one. He okay. wrote a series of science fiction novels called Space Quest that were adapted for television. Real or ridiculous? Wow. I'm going to say real. All right. I'll agree. Sorry. No ah, such. <laughs> I was going to say no, but Eddie space, sounded like he knew what he was. Space Quest came out of Eddie, my Eddie sounded like you had watched brain. it or something. Yeah. My groovy brain. All right. Okay, so. number two. <laughs> um, in uh, 2018, Shatner released Why Not Me, his first country music album. Real or ridiculous? <laughs> I think that's real. Yeah, it is real. It's real. Yeah. And who knew, right? I guess yeah. you did. Number three, he appeared in Third Rock from the Sun as the alien Zagos. Uh, I have to say real. Yeah, it's real. Nope, it's wow. not real. He was somebody else? Uh, he was Big Giant Head. Oh, God. Darn. Yeah, so she, close. Yeah, she, he was so sneaky, show. Ed. Yeah. Well, you know, that's my goal. Um, I have to put my grooves to work. And here, but- hey, Ed, you know what? I have a William Shatner one for you. You ready? And the uh, you'll yeah. know the answer when I tell you. Are you familiar okay. with my Twilight Zone radio dramas that I that I Have you ever heard any of them? I've heard a couple. Yeah, well... Do you know that I reached out to William Shatner and he turned me down? Get out. Yeah, it, I had all these amazing actors in this. I'm like, you know, we'd love to have you. You can do one that you did originally or we'll you can star in a different. He's like, 
Nah. Well, at least he answered you. He's like, nah, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, he turned me down for an autograph, too. Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of a little bit of a curmudgeon. Well, you know what? Yeah. At least he answered. There's a lot of people that don't reply. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) No, it was on the phone. I had called him. Oh, then he stopped. I called him, yes. I I called his manager, and his manager were like, here's his phone number. Give him a call. Oh, wow. Do you still have that number? No. I think <laughs> All I right. got rid of it. Uh, hey, great right. playing the game with you, Eddie. Eddie, you are the winner. You've won a desktop indoor weather station. It's brought to you by uh, American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling, the 60-Minute Men. Visit AmericanWeathermakers.com. You're going to love it. I love my Weathermaker. I hope you, you so do, much. too. <laughs> Can't wait to hear some Boston Blackie. Oh, yeah, my yeah. favorite. It's we'll, yeah. we'll do that for you. Okay, buddy. Take yeah. care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we were successful taking an x-ray of Lisa's brain. I wow. have it. I'm going to post it Let's in a minute or two. It. And the, the cool, well, you'll, you'll take a look at it. Yeah, Check out our Facebook look. page and see what you think. Yeah. All right. But right now it's time for part three of Donovan's brain on suspense. This way, please, Dr. Corey. <laughs> but Patrick... Why are we going in here? A psychiatric I told clinic? you I'd do something, darling, and I've got an idea. You mean having yourself psychoanalyzed? Something like that? Something like that. I'll tell you about it later, dear. First, I want to talk to this man alone. Dr. Zanga, this is Dr. Corey. Oh, how do you do, Dr. Corey? Oh, I've heard something of your work. Oh, yes. Oh, and uh, this is... Uh, Mrs. Corey. Oh, of course. Excuse me. Uh, I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Corey. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, uh, won't you come into my office, Doctor? Yeah, uh, Janice, would you mind waiting here in the reception room? I- I'll be out in just a moment. Well, certainly, dear. Uh, in here, please. Well, Doctor, she seems quite normal. I had expected from what you told me on the phone. Yes, I know, but I... I can assure you, deeply as it pains me to do so, that she is quite insane. Oh, I see. Paranoia. She's always been a little jealous of my work, but lately she's developed the most extraordinary delusion. Hmm. She she thinks that I've created some sort of a monster in my laboratory that controls that, that, that controls my mind, actually. Yeah, I have uh, heard of such cases. In- it was a great shock to me. I thought of you at once, of course. I'm putting her completely in your hands. Well, it is a little unusual, but since you are yourself a medical man... I know you do everything you can. Yes, you, you definitely wish, then, to commit her, huh? Yeah. Yes. You have the papers. Uh, here they are. Uh, just your signature will be enough. Hmm. There you are. You'll you keep me informed. Oh, won't you? Naturally, naturally. Well, goodbye then, Dr. Corey. We will do what we can. Patrick? Uh, Mrs. Corey is staying with us, Miss Wilcox. Yes, Dr. Zangler. Patrick, come back. Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Corey. Patrick? Just come inside with me, please. Patrick! No, no, no. Where are you going? Come along, Mrs. Corey. Let me go. Oh, it's all right. Come Let me go! Please. Yes? About the bill, how do you wish it to be handled? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'll take care of it by the week. 
The checks will be signed William H. Donovan. January 15th. It's nearly a week now since Janice went away. I cannot understand how she could have left me just when I needed her most. When I try to question Schrott or David about it, they only look at me strangely and change the subject. Clearly, they too are in on the conspiracy. Sometimes it seems the only person I can trust is Donovan, the brain. It communicates with me more freely now each day. I know it has some great plan in mind for me, for both of us. And I'm waiting, patiently waiting. Donovan, I'm listening, Donovan. Don't be angry, Donovan. I'm trying to understand. I'm, I'm listening, Donovan. I'm listening. In tonight's full hour of suspense, Mr. John McIntyre appears as Dr. Patrick Corey in William Spears' production of Donovan's Brain. Tonight's study in suspense. just a moment, we will return with Act Two of Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And now, back to our Hollywood soundstage and your host for Suspense, Mr. Robert Montgomery. At the outset of Experiment 87, we were concerned with a man of science who had a wife and a son whom he loved and who loved him. He was a gifted scientist, dedicated to his work, and he signed his name with his right hand, Dr. Patrick Corey. That was before Donovan's brain. That was before his psychological fiber weakened against the force of a powerful obsession. And with this weakening, his power to direct his knowledge has become twisted. Now we look again at Dr. Patrick Corey, man of science. He has alienated friends and family. He has had his wife committed to an institution. His entire life has become a thing contained in a vat, controlled by pounding electric waves, and he signs his name with his left hand. William H. Donovan. And now, with John McIntyre as Dr. Patrick Corey, and with Act Two of Donovan's Brain, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! January 16th. It is now six weeks, exactly 42 days... For six weeks, by artificial means alone, I have kept alive a human brain. Completely detached from the body, floating in the bath of serum, nourished by a synthetic blood plasma fed through its arteries by an electric pump, it has remained alive. Not only alive, but I have succeeded in communicating with it. For I have even induced new growth of brain cells and so tremendously increased its mental faculties that by sheer brain power alone it is actually able to communicate its thoughts to me. And each day, 
My communion with that living, pulsing mass of gray matter that was the brain of William Donovan becomes stronger and stronger. Even now I sense it striving to reveal some plan to me. Something so truly world-shaking in its implications that only such an organism developed to a point thousands of years ahead of its time could ever have conceived it. So far I sense this only. But soon I shall know. Indeed, I shall be a partner in its execution. What a fool I was ever to have considered for a moment my wife's demands that I end the experiment. It's because I refused, of course, that Janice left me a week ago without so much as a word of explanation of farewell. Even my son David and my assistant Schrott are privy to this conspiracy to thwart me. For when I asked about Janice, they pretended to know nothing. Or seek to avoid my questions. But the brain will live. I can hear it now. It's delta waves, quite audible over the amplifying system I've arranged for it, almost as though it were calling to me, trying to speak to me. Yes, the brain will live. Donovan. Donovan, what is it? What are you trying to tell me? Go on, Donovan, go on, I'm listening. Go on. Who is it? It's me, Patrick and David. What do you want? We want to talk to you, Dad. I have no time to talk, I'm busy. Please open the door, Patrick, it's important. Go away, I tell you I'm busy. Please, Dad. Can't you leave me alone? But... All right, all right. There, thanks. Now, what is it? Patrick, won't you come into the study with us for a few minutes? Whatever you got to say, you can say right here. You know I can't leave the laboratory. Dad, it, it's only that we wanted to talk to you in, in private. Don't tell me that you're afraid of this poor mass of brain cells. No, it's not that, Dad. Never mind, David. At least turn that thing off then, will you, Patrick? <laughs> what difference would that make? It could still hear, couldn't it? All right, well, what is it? It's... it's about Mother. Oh. So she put you up to this, did she? I thought the truth would come out sometime. Dad, listen. She tried to stop this experiment from the beginning. She thought she could blackmail into quitting by leaving me. And she still does. And now she's using you as Patrick, a go-between. Patrick, please, listen a minute. I've heard enough. We haven't heard a word from Janice. We don't know where she is. That's what we came in to talk about. Oh, have you? Well, how should I know where she is? Because, because you were the last person seen with her, Dad. I was. Don't you remember, Patrick? You took her into town with you. You wouldn't tell any of us why. Oh, oh yes. Of course. For a moment I'd forgotten, but what of it? Don't you remember what happened then? Well, of course I remember. She'd left me, that's all. Well, where, Dad? Where did she leave you? What were you doing? I, I, I don't know. We were in some big public building. It's the city hall, courthouse, taxes or something. And the next thing I knew, she'd simply disappear. Is that all? Didn't she say anything? Didn't she uh, Didn't she at least tell you why she was going? How do I remember what she said? It's been a week and more. I've hardly slept. And you know I've been working night and day. Yes, that's just it, Patrick. What do you mean by that? Patrick, you say that this, the brain communicates with you. Tells you thing of, things about its past life. Suggests thoughts. Well, if the brain can make you think things, why can't it also make you forget things? Leave me alone. Dad, are you sure? Are you sure you don't know what's happened to Mother? No, no, I tell you, but no. But don't you see what you might have done? In heaven's name, stop now while there's still time. Get out of while here. While there's still time to help Janice, if there is. While there's still time to help yourself, Patrick. Shut off the current. You... Let the brain die. Kill it, Patrick. Kill it. Get Kill out. it. Both of you. Get out. Get out. 
The brain continues to give us more and more easily, but nothing further on what I have come to think of as the plan. I am now sleeping a great deal, but my dreams are becoming increasingly troublesome, although I am at a loss to analyze them. Most frequent is a sort of vast cosmic ballet, presided over by the colossal figure of a young man whom I seem to recognize, and yet I never see his face. It is as though the entire population of the Earth were moving past him in review at his command. No, 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 David, don't let him touch oh, me. David. Don't let him touch me. It's all right now. Here. Here's a glass of water. Yeah. Well, what's the matter? You're trembling all over. I... I can't. What are you looking at me that way for? You look frightened half to death. Dead? Well, what happened here anyway? I came in and found you on the floor with your hands around your own throat. If it hadn't have been for me, what... Why is your luggage all packed? I, I was going to leave. Leave? In the middle of the night? Why? Because I... The fuse box. It's been opened. It was you, Schrott. You were going to shut off the current. You were going to kill that brain. Patrick, you tried to strangle me. What? It's true, Dad. That's why I had to slap you. But that's absurd. I came in here and I found Schrott with his hands around his own throat. He was strangling himself. Dad, please think a minute. Nobody can strangle himself. Look at these marks on my throat. You think I could have done that? No, it's not possible. And yet... It's true, Patrick, true, that I tried to shut off the current. I was afraid for you. But as I opened the fuse box, I heard the delta waves in the laboratory suddenly become stronger and louder than they'd ever been before. And then... And then I... Yes, yes. Then the brain... You... You even spoke in Donovan's voice, Patrick. His voice? Yes, that recurring phrase of his. Sure, sure, sure. In his very tones, his very accent. You've created a monster, Patrick. It has the power to make me commit murder. Patrick, what about Janice? Shot you. You don't think I, I... I couldn't have done a thing like that. You couldn't have done what you did tonight if you'd been yourself? No, no. I, even a hypnotist can't force a man to... Don't, don't worry about it now, Patrick. It's probably all right. We'll try to find it tomorrow. We'll do everything we can, but first... Dad, don't you see? Dr. Schrott was right. You've got to destroy... Well, maybe... Maybe then I could remember it, yes. The brain must die. Pull the switch in the fuse box. It will only be a matter of seconds then. Yes. But... You've got to, Patrick. Schrott! David! Help me, I can't move. Come to me. Pull the switch. Hurry, stop. David, go on. You. 
You too. It's it's paralyzed us, Patrick. The brain won't let itself be killed. Then it has the power to live on and on to command us as long as we live. To make us do anything it wants. To kill, murder, Ed. What are we going to do? Listen. Crane. It's... It's laughing. All right, that's part three of Donovan's Brain. More after these words. So we have posted the picture of Lisa's brain. How do people get this picture? How do they see well, the picture? Well, not only is it my brain, but we actually have your hands surrounding it, yeah. so you can you I'm can holding get holding her brain. Yeah, you can get the full the full photo here. It's on our Facebook page. Go to WGN Radio Theater. Make sure to comment, and the person who has the right number of grooves might just win something. Wow. I don't know. We're going to talk that. about that. That was very nice of Roger to bring in the X-ray machine. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, Roger. I was looking over the cast list here on this hour-long episode of Donovan's Brain. Great performers on here. John McIntyre is the main star on this. Robert Montgomery was the host. He also plays uh, a part. And then uh, William Johnstone, who played the shadow for uh, many years on radio. Wally Mayer, big-time uh, supporting actor. Jeanette Nolan. Jeanette Nolan was on everything. She was incredible. And she was actually married to John McIntyre. So they probably thought, well, two for the price of one or something like that. Um, Joseph Kearns, of course, you've, he's on everything. He was the man in black. Um, on television, he was Dennis the Menace's neighbor, Mr. Wilson. Um, let's see who else on here. Uh, that's about it. But uh, great cast on this hour-long, very good quality, terrific uh, uh, terrific program from February 7th, 1948. Here is the conclusion now to Donovan's Brain on Suspense. February 2nd. Slot has left. He had to, of course, for his own protection, if nothing else. Before he left, I swore him to eternal secrecy. And he's going to try to find Janice. The very thought that any harm might have come to her through me is enough to drive me almost mad. As for David, he's strong enough to prevent any untoward accidents. And he's volunteered to stay with me. He'll sleep at night behind locked doors. We must devote every faculty we possess, together and independently, to finding a way of destroying the brain. Perhaps while it sleeps, although it seems to have developed tremendous powers of the subconscious which operate even in sleep. Recurring dream. The now oppressive sense of some further task to be performed continues. If Janice were only here, even her presence I know would help immeasurably to combat this fearful thing. A terrible thought crosses my mind. Could Schrott have left if the brain had not, for some reasons of its own, actually wanted him to leave? February 6th. My thoughts are less and less my own. The dream of the young giant bestriding the earth, the figure without a face, pursues me now, even in my waking hours. Increasingly, I seem to live in a world of evil fancy. Peopled and controlled by the mind of William Donovan. 
And worst of all is the obsession that there is some fateful role not yet revealed to me. But I have been assigned to play in it. But I've not given up hope. I must destroy the brain. The possibility has occurred to me. I must give it more thought. If Janice were only here. But Janice, where have you been? Where have I been? Yes, well, you had no idea. I've been half crazy worrying about you. Did Schrott finally find you? Uh-huh. Uh, Schrott found me. Oh, Janice, why did you leave me that day? Why didn't you at least tell me? Where, where did you go? I was with friends. Did Schrott tell you anything? No. N- nothing special. Janice, I know I haven't been a very good husband these last months. I haven't been very kind or considerate or even civilized. I haven't been myself, Janice. I know, Patrick. My poor darling. But if you'd only known how I missed you after you left. How I needed you. I I need your help, Janice. I know, Patrick. I came back to help you. But but what? Where's... Only sleep in the next room ever since... That is, lately he's... He's tried to make it a point to sleep only when I do. Keep an eye on things. Patrick... I'm going to help you all I can, any way I can. I'm going to. But first, I want to take David away. David? Because I don't think it's good for him to be here. I don't think that you... Then Schrott did tell you. Yes, Patrick, he did. Oh, Janice, Janice, Janice. I don't know what to do. My mind is only half my own. Lately, I don't even know what I'm... What I myself, or whether I'm someone else, it's it's like some frightful nightmare, only I don't wake up. I'm afraid I'll never wake up. My poor dears. Janice, you you do love me still. Yes, Patrick. It's the only thing I have left, Janice, is what I've counted on and clung to. And that somehow, out of your love, you'd find a way to help no one else can. I know. Poor old Schrott didn't even dare to come back. Yes, well, I can't blame him. Patrick. I don't want to torment you. It's only that perhaps we can find a way if we know all the facts. What, Janice? Don't you really know where I was? No, how could I? Don't you remember where you took me? Where I took you? You took me to a psychiatric clinic, Patrick. You had me committed. Janice. No, Patrick. Not you. Donovan. It was because I tried to make you stop the experiment. Kill the brain. As you left me there, you even spoke in Donovan's voice. Sure, 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 you said. I thought they were the last words I would ever hear you speak. Oh, Janice, forgive me. I couldn't persuade anyone I was sane. 
After what you told them, everything I said only made them think I was mad. I'm not mad, am I, Patrick? I'm not mad. Janice will be gone for some three hours. I have sent her into town for Dr. Zanger, the psychiatrist. Maybe he can help. But now I'm overcome with the thought of the humiliation I shall have to suffer when other medical men become aware of the position I'm in. It will be the end of my career, my reputation, and all my hopes. It's folly to think that Zanger would keep it to himself. Indeed, he would have no right to. I can bear it if I must. But another way, a possibility came to me yesterday. And I've been thinking it over. There's no harm in trying it in any event. I must try. I have three hours. David! David? David, what's your blood type, do you know? Oh, as a matter of fact, I don't think I do. Why? Well, no matter. We can easily find out. David, I think at last I know a way. To, to kill the brain? Yes, it's simple. Perfectly natural. And yet nine chances out of ten is something Donovan would never have known about. I do it myself, but unfortunately my blood type is the same as his. Oh, a transfusion? Of course. I have to replenish the blood substance periodically anyhow. It's about time to do it again. I've always used my own because it was the same type as his. But if yours is a different type... The right type. You mean the wrong type? Yes. Given the wrong type, the brain will die. Yes. It sounds possible. I'm sure of it. I know it. Oh, but, but suppose the brain knows. It, it knows other things. Yes, I thought of that. It's a chance we'll have to take. If you're willing. Oh, of course I am, Dad. Then we'll take a blood sample now. Come to the laboratory. If only I have the right type. Or rather, the wrong type. If you haven't, we'll find someone who has. Maybe Shrott. Now, just lie down there on the table. You want to turn it up. Your arm. There. I'll, I'll put it on. This all, the small syringe will do it. Now. Uh, go ahead. I'm ready. Hey, David, don't watch me. It'll be easier if you don't for me. Well, that's a funny one. Coming from you. Well, doctors are never quite as steady with members of their own family, you know. Ready? Sure. You all right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all right. Me through in just a second. You getting it all right? Yeah, it's just a second now. Dad, I'm sleepy. You'll be over it in a moment. But what's the matter? Why am I so, so sleepy? You'll be all surprised to find the instrument sterilized and already lying out. But I worked more rapidly and skillfully than ever before in my life. I made an incision just below the hairline, laying back the scalp as far as the base of the skull. 
I trepanned the cranium at two centimeter intervals, working back and downwards to the upper edge of the occipital bone. With the Geely saw, I cut through the connecting bone structure and removed the entire top of the cranium, placing it in saline solution to preserve it. I made a semicircular incision in the dura mater, laying it to one side, exposing the brain. As I dissected out the facial auditory and pneumogastric nerves to free the medulla oblongata, I became conscious of an insistent clamoring, something like a mounting hysteria in the distant reaches of my mind, almost as strong as the irresistible compulsion that drove me on. But my hand did not falter. With a sure stroke, I severed the spinal cord just below the first cervical nerve. As I make this last entry, with that awful guilt upon my soul, even now I cannot fully comprehend how it has been possible for any man by mortal or immortal means, to be driven to such a crime. Even the divinity himself did not demand of Abraham that final sacrifice of expiation, when he, with his only begotten son, ascended the Mount of Olives. Perhaps Schrott is right. Perhaps there is indeed in man some spark of the divine that will elude our test tubes and our laboratories until the end of time. Perhaps that is the one thing that even Donovan did not foresee. I only know that at the instant my son died under my own hand, I was set free. At that instant, I saw and understood for the first time that monstrous plan born in the brain of William Donovan, of which I was to be the instrument. It was the plan I had glimpsed but never grasped in the recurring dream. Donovan did aspire to the domination of the world. And with those tremendous mental faculties that I myself had given him, it was literally within his power to become the absolute ruler of all mankind. Only one thing was lacking, a body. A young, strong body into which those ever-growing brain cells could graft and affix themselves and live on, perhaps, for centuries. He chose the body of my son. And now at last, too late, I'm free to destroy this foul thing of my creation. I know it as surely as I know that my own life must be the forfeit. The brain also knows. I can hear the disturbed, erratic oscillations of the delta waves coming through the laboratory door. But there's no room left in me now for fear. I shall take the six steps from the desk where I'm writing across to the laboratory door. How often I have taken them in happier times. I shall open the door, close it behind me for the last time, and write finis to the mortal life of Patrick Arthur Corey and the brain of William Horace Donovan. May others learn from the record I leave here the lesson I have learned so bitterly and profit by them. And for the things I have done, may God have mercy on my soul.
7th. The bodies of Dr. Patrick Arthur Corey and his son David were found in Dr. Corey's own laboratory early today. Young Corey had apparently died on the operating table as a result of a delicate brain operation performed by his father. In the case of Dr. Corey, there was nothing to indicate the cause of death. But medical authorities who viewed the body, including the famous Dr. Gustav Zanger, gave us their opinions that he might have died of a shock as the result of the unsuccessful operation on his son. A curious feature of the case was the fact that numerous pieces of tissue, identified as being from a human brain, were found scattered about the laboratory floor, while a larger section of brain was found in the midst of an elaborate apparatus, evidently part of a scientific experiment. Medical authorities stated, however, that they were unable to explain the nature of the apparatus and that the brain itself was in such a state of decomposition as to indicate that it had been dead and slowly decaying for at least two months. Dr. Corey is survived by his wife, Janice. She was committed to the county asylum for the insane late this afternoon. Burial of Dr. Corey and his son will be at the Mount of Olives Cemetery. For his superb performance as Dr. Corey, our appreciation and thanks to John McIntyre. Mr. Montgomery may currently be seen in the Universal International production, Ride the Pink Horse. John McIntyre may soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Northside 777. Donovan's Brain by Kurt Siodmak was adapted for suspense by Robert L. Richards and was produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Blood Gluskin is our musical director and conductor, and Lucian Morrowek composes the original scores. Next week, hear Robert Montgomery as The Lodger on radio's outstanding theater of thrills, one hour of... Suspense! This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's Suspense, an hour-long broadcast from February 7th, 1948, Donovan's Brain, starring John McIntyre, and that was uh, had no sponsor on that program. It's heard on uh, CBS. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Did you like that, Lisa? I did, and most of our listeners seem to really enjoy it a lot, too. Yeah, and... Um, a lot of great texts. We in. were able to get a great x-ray of Lisa's brain, has tons of grooves in it. She's very groovy. I'm a groovy gal, and uh, we hope that you'll check out the Facebook photo and uh, uh, comment as to your guess as to how many grooves are in my brain, and we'll see who gets the closest. Yeah, just go to uh, Facebook and type in WGN Radio Theater. It'll pop up. Let's take a quick break, then it's more right here on WGN. In our next hour, it's You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. The secret word is door. 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 <laughs> From April 12th, 1950. You won't want to miss that. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right. Thanks, Roger. It's eight minutes after one o'clock in the morning here. It's our third hour. Thanks for staying up late with us. 
in this hour. It's You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx from 1950. But first, we're going to play our game. Is it real or is it ridiculous? We sure are. The celebrity is Tina Fey, one of your favorites. And we're going to give away general admission for two adults and two children to Sycamore Speedway. Go ahead. Sycamore Speedway. Go ahead. I know you just can't help yourself. So that's the plan here. We're going to look for caller number two. So we're going to make this quick call right now. 312-981-7200. Call now. We're going to be right back. We have Georgia on the line. Hi, Georgia. No, Georgia on my mind. We have and call Lamaria. Enjoy your show. Aw, thanks, Thank Georgia. you. We had Georgia on our mind. So. Thank you. I love that song. <laughs> we do, too. We're going to do a little uh, Real or Ridiculous with Tina Fey, and here we go, number one. In 2001, Entertainment Weekly named Tina Fey as one of their Entertainers of the Year. Do you think that's real or ridiculous? 2001. Hmm. I'll say ridiculous. I don't think it went back that far. I'm going to I'm going to disagree and say re- real. It is absolutely real, and that is for her work on Weekend Update. All right. This is for Georgia. (laughs) This is for Carl. All right. Let's try this again. Number two. She and Amy Poehler starred in the 2008 comedy, What Happens in Vegas? Real or ridiculous? Real. Ah, really? I th- I'm going to say ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I just, that's not true. Uh, but they did start together in Baby Mama. Yeah, Baby Mama. All right, this not- is for Georgia. <laughs> Sorry, Georgia. And this is for Carl. All right, we still have a chance right. here. Number three. She can get this one. Okay, come, come on, Georgia. on, Georgia. She created the musical adaptation of Mean Girls, which earned her a Tony Award nomination. Real or ridiculous? Mm, I don't remember that. I'll say real. That is real. It is absolutely real. There we go. We got it. Here we go. (laughs) For both of you. Georgia, I am so excited to give you general admission for two adults and two children to Sycamore Speedway, family-owned since 1963. Plan your visit now at sycamorespeedway.com. That's a great show. I hope you have a lot of fun. Bring some friends and family. Thank you so much. Terrific. And, and play more Gunsmoke. Gun All right. Smoke. You got it, Georgia. We will do. Did we play it last week? Yeah. And you know what? There was a Georgia on there, too. Georgia Ellis. Yes. She was Kitty Russell. All right. Very good. She's a Thank big you, winner. Georgia. All right. Time now for You Bet Your Life, uh, one of the most famous game shows on radio and TV. It was hosted by the one, the only, Groucho Marx of the Marx Brothers fame and uh, his assistant and announcer on the show, George Fenneman. It began on ABC Radio in 1947, then it transitioned to television in 1950, and each show offered a secret word like house or money, hat, etc., and uh, contestants would banter about their life with Groucho, and if by chance they said that secret word, they'd win an extra $100. They also won money for answering questions put to them by Groucho, and oftentimes celebrities appeared as contestants, and You Bet Your Life uh, had a very long run on television, bowing out 
1961 on Radio and TV. It was kind of simulcast on both. So uh, we have a, a great episode for you now from April 12th, 1950, early in the run. The secret word is... Door. Door. All right, let's tune this in. Part one of You Bet Your Life. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is door. D-O-O-R. Really? You bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho! He's the egg the Easter Bunny brought. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who gets first crack at all that money? We invited some steel workers and some ice men to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected ice man Ray Morgan and steel man Dan Daniel. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, boys, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if one of you says the secret word, you divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. Ray uh, Morgan, you're the ice man? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Where do you work? Uh... Work the Union Ice Company in Hollywood. What do you do? Oh, we make and deliver ice. Oh. <laughs> well, how, how do you make ice? Oh, we put water in tanks. <laughs> You're welcome, huh? <laughs> You're sort of an American institution, aren't you? How many housewives... Still look forward to the Iceman every morning. Oh, thousands of them. Thousands? What's so? How many of them take ice? <laughs> now, uh, Mr. Daniel, uh, what sort of work do you do? Steel worker. You work at steel? You mean you're a crook? <laughs> Now, why do you commit all this larceny? Uh... U.S. Steelworks. U.S. Steelworks? Yes. Are, are you married? Yes, sir. How'd you meet your wife? Did you steal her, too? Or... <laughs> well, I met her on a blind date. I had a date with her sister, and uh, I went out, and the fellows had me tangled up, and uh, they tangled the girls up, and hey, I what? met... They tangled the girls up, and I get, the, I get the one I was supposed not to get, and the one that I got, I got. <laughs> You could work for the State Department in that <laughs> What is your job uh, as a steel worker? Uh, I'm an open hearth operator. Open hearth? Uh, I up the melter. You help the melter, huh? At the smelter? Uh... No, there's no smelter. That's only when the melter's in a swelter at the smelter, is that? <laughs> Why don't you have a smelter? We don't have any pig iron. <laughs> Well, if you don't have any pig iron, obviously you have no use for a smelter, huh? <laughs> Why don't you have pig iron? We don't have any iron ore. Iron ore what, huh? <laughs> iron ore hogs? Or... Now, what do you do? How do you help the melter? I up in charge of furnace. 
Why does he charge the furnace? Why doesn't he pay cash for it? <laughs> what do you charge the furnace with, salsa? The scrap, well, the charging ram. <laughs> you mean you have a trained goat? <laughs> now start in the beginning, uh, will you? The scrap is uh, brought up in charging buggies, and we use the ram... Brought up in what? In charging buggies. Charging buggies? Yeah. <laughs> what is a charging buggy? I never That's heard electrically of it. operated ram. Oh. <laughs> Why are you saying you got my goat? I don't know. <laughs> okay, now you got... Now, now what happens? Well, I have the... That's where I come in, really, is as a first helper. When we charge the furnace, well, I take over there and... Uh, Melt this scrap down. Where does the white pig come from in connection with this? Well, uh... You have to be hammy to make it, or...? <laughs> well, that's, that's a good answer. <laughs> Frankly, you don't know, is that it, huh? That's right. You've been shoveling that Schweiner eye into that finest all these years. <laughs> and you haven't the faintest idea why it's called pig iron, huh? <laughs> It's called pig iron. It's Why? called put in a trough. And, and put in a trough? Yes, oh, it's no. put in a trough and, and uh, cool down. And the pig goes for the trough, is that <laughs> it? <laughs> now, Rusty, if you had to do it all over again, would you go back into the steel business? Yes, Mr. Marks, Why? I would. Why would you? Well, uh... I know the pig iron. I know that. <laughs> well, everything... the trough, huh? Everything that we have today is uh, is basically steel. Not everything, but not, most not, of not not French pastry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, steel is something that's here to stay, and all of these fine cars is made of the best steel, and uh, you just can't get rid of it. Once <laughs> That's the truth. Twenty-three years for U.S. steel, and it's been a fine. Come me to work for. Yeah. That's true. I hear good. they haven't got a quarter, huh? <laughs> well, let's forget about America's industry for now. In just one minute, you're going to work together for a chance at 1,500 bucks, which is more important. Now, let's see if you two will get a chance at the $1,500. Fenneman, bring them up to date on the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected sports personalities as your category. Is that right? Now, you have $20. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you bet? $5. In what sport is Sam Sneed famous? Golf. Golf is right. They have $25 now. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 25 will you try? Let's take 15, 15 this time. Okay. 15. Doesn't agree with him. He's liable to hit him over the head with an ingot. <laughs> oh. In what sport is Jack Kramer famous? Tennis. Tennis is right. They're climbing ground till they have $40. All right, you got $40. Here's, uh, how much are you going to bet on this one? Here's your third question. How much of the 40 $30. $30. And what sport is Johnny Longdon famous? Horse racing. racing. Horse racing. racing is right. They're really climbing now. We have $70. All right. Now you've got $70. Now, how much of the 70 are you going to try? Sure. $70. Bucks. $70? The you works. In what sport is Ralph Kiner famous? Baseball. Baseball is right. And they wind up with a grand total of $140. 
Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Stick around now. You may get the chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still door. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a baby photographer and a young mother. And here they are, Mrs. Linda Sutton and Mr. Newell Morris. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to You Bet Your Life, folks. And if one of you says the secret word at any time, you divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you use, you see every day. Well, let's see here. Mr. Newell uh, Morris, that must be you, huh? Baby photographer. Huh? Where, where are you from, uh, baby? I'm a native. <laughs> How many babies do you photograph on an average day? Oh, I snap around 10 or 15. You go around snapping at babies? <laughs> well, at least you're a candid photographer. <laughs> and Miss uh, Linda Sutton, huh? A very pretty name and a very pretty girl, huh? Have you always been this pretty? That's my mother. Well, drag her out, I will. <laughs> Where are you from, Mrs. Uh, Sutton? I'm from outside of Boston. Where is outside of Boston? Well, I'm just on the edge of the Cape. <laughs> well, I got you don't fall off, huh? <laughs> uh, you're, you're a young mother, is that is that right? That's right. Uh, how old are you, uh, Linda? I'm 27. And how old is your baby? Well, they were a year, Christmas Day. I have twins, twin oh, boys. You have twins, huh? And how old is your husband? He's 28. 28? You know what a steel ingot is, huh? <laughs> you say your husband is uh, in the steel business? No, he's he's a lineman for the telephone company. Which which phone company does he work for? Well, there's only one. No, that's not true. There are many phone companies. You ought to have your husband wise you up to some of these things. Can't just go on having twins, you know. There are other... In other words, he works for AT&T, is that it? How, how'd you meet him? Oh, uh, I, I met him. I was fishing for eels. And that's the best you could do? I'm a family of, of six. I'm the only girl. I have five brothers. And they're always t uh, my big brother. Well, thanks for the warning, Mr. Sutton. <laughs> uh, my big brother was going to... It was Just how big is your big brother? <laughs> well, I have five. Uh, any size you want, I got them. <laughs> now then, we were on the eels, huh? Well, uh... My mother wanted us to go get some eels, not to eat, but uh, just to feed our cats. We had nine cats. Nine cats and only five brothers? That isn't even two cats apiece. Well, anyway, uh, my brother took me along so I could watch my little brother. Because as soon as I got there, my big brother went away. I think he went talking to some girls or something. So, uh... Really? <laughs> then my other brother... That you mean he preferred girls to eels? <laughs> Can't be much of a man, that fella. Right? And, uh, he came back in a little while, and he had this other fellow with him. And he says, uh, hey, sis, this is Sutton. So he reached into the bucket that he had, and he pulled out this great big long eel, and he threw it at me. And I guess he meant me to catch it, but anyway, it hit me right in the face. Is that considered romance in Massachusetts? <laughs> That's strange customs in New England. Anyway, 
Slapping a girl in the kisser with an eel, I never thought was... Well, just the right way to get introduced to a girl. Huh? Do, you, do you work, uh, Mrs. Sutton? Well, yes, I do. I have a part-time job as a chocolate dipper. I beg your pardon. Why did you say... Why did you say you dip? Chocolates. You, you dip chocolates? Dip them in what? Chocolate. I, I work with nuts. You take three nuts... Mr. Sutton, don't think that I don't. Huh? I've worked with more nuts than you'll ever see. Huh? All right, that's the first portion of You Bet Your Life. Groucho Marx, what a master ad-libber he was, right? Oh, Definitely. Yep, April 12th, 1950. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. All right, well, after the news, it's the conclusion to You Bet Your Life. Then when we come back here tonight, Lisa, you know what's on the agenda? I sure do. We've got Dangerous Assignment and My Friend Irma. Oh, that'll be fun. All right, It's always fun. And you know what's fun? The news. That's that because could be fun. We'll see Roger, how fun it is. Roger, who lives in Schauburg, does let's, a great job. Let's see with if the Roger news. Makes he drives it all fun. the way here from Schauburg just to uh, to to do the news. Well, you keep saying you're going to pick me up. And I yeah. I keep waiting. I, but Schauburg, <laughs> do you so really far, want him to pick you so, up, Roger? So far, <laughs> after playing baseball all day long, I don't think he can pick up his shoes. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. See, that Roger Baddish, he just does the news, he does it, he gets it. He's snappy. He's snappy. Nobody else can see what you're doing except for me. Right? He just does the news, gets through it. Why do other people do it differently no, than Roger? You want no, me to do something else. Just saying, he's snappy. snappy I like gets, snappy. He's, Roger. He tells like that too. news. He tells it concisely. Gets to the concisely. point. Yeah, concisely. It's a word. As opposed to some of your stories. Yeah. Don't, don't quite so, get to because, the point. Because, you know, there's classic radio. Because as yeah. Roger knows, there's classic radio to play. We right, Roger? We need to hear more. I agree. More, there should more. be more classic radio. Well, we are radio. in the middle of a classic radio show, yeah, yeah. and uh, we all want to hear what happens. You bet your life we I'm are. I'm waiting for door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the door to open. All right, here go. is the conclusion to You Bet Your Life. Girl tells me that she gets married because somebody slapped her in the kisser with an eel. <laughs> well, are, are you, <laughs> <laughs> Mister? I've been neglecting you, Mister. This, this was such a fascinating saga of love in New England that I just couldn't, couldn't get away from it. Uh, you say you're a baby photographer, Mister Morris. That's right. How do you go about taking a baby's picture? Well, if they're about 12 pounds, well, you prop them up on a pillow to start. But if they're under 12, what do you do, throw them back? <laughs> Are babies like adults in that you can occasionally have to retouch babies' pictures? Oh, yes, you occasionally retouch babies. Well, how do you, how do, you do it, huh? Well, you have to take out the bags under their eyes and stray here. You mean those kids have bags under their eyes? That's what they get for staying up all night, huh? Getting the bottle. Those kids are old soaks. <laughs> Who takes the pictures in your family? You or your husband? Well, I take them of him and he takes them of me. Well, that's the 
can do it, huh? Unless you have arms eight feet long. Well, who takes the best pictures, you or your husband? Well, I do. The pictures he takes, they don't look like me. What do you mean they don't look like you? Well, uh, last summer he took a picture of me in a bathing suit and uh, didn't look like me at all. Were you underwater at the time? <laughs> what was the matter with the picture? It was too light. Give us the lowdown, uh, Mr. Morris. What was the matter with the picture of uh, Mrs. Sutton? Uh, it must have been an overexposure. <laughs> Maybe that's why she was under the water. <laughs> well, I know all about snapping at babies. Now, let's see how snappy you two are with your answers. You're going to play your bet your life for the chance at $1,500 the DeSoto Plymouth question. You're on your $20 and the more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the big question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman is off stage to remind our listeners. The Iceman and the steel worker earned $140. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected capitals of states as your category. Is that right? Now, you got $20. How much are you going to risk? Fifteen. What is the capital of Kentucky? Frankfurt. Frankfurt is right. <laughs> On their way, they have $35. How much of the 35 will you try? 30. What's the capital of South Dakota? Pierre. Pierre is right. <laughs> Starting to climb, they have $65. How much are you going to try? 60. 60. You don't care what he says anymore. <laughs> what is the capital of Vermont? Montpelier. Montpelier is right, a New England guy. Now they have $125. Uh, no, no kissing until the show is over, huh? <laughs> the whole thing. Okay. Shoot it. Rackaroon here, huh? You've got $125, and you're going to try for this one. What is the capital of North Dakota? Uh, Bismarck. Bismarck is right. And they wind up a grand total of $250. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, we'll soon know who gets the chance at the $1,500 question. And now, a word from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Uh, just a minute, Phantom, and if each dealer has a worry, that'll be 3,000, and this is only a half-hour program. Well, Groucho, actually, words can't do justice to the skilled service you get when you drive your car into an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer's place of business. In that case, this is the only program in radio that doesn't need an announcer. What I mean, Groucho, is that one must experience how the skilled DeSoto Plymouth mechanics working with the finest equipment can save time and money on your car. One must experience. Shouldn't we try to get a few more people into the DeSoto Plymouth dealers? Maybe three or four? Oh, you know what I mean. So does everybody else. So on with the show. Who's ahead in the battle for the $1,000? The housewife and the baby photographer are leading with $250. And the secret word is still door. We invited some Belgian war brides and their ex-GI husbands to the show tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. and Mrs. Chico Tellez. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And if you say the secret word while we're talking, you'll win $100. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mrs. Uh, Tellez, is that the way you pronounce it? That's right. Tellez, eh? You're a Belgian war bride. Uh, where, where are you from? I'm from Belgium. Mm. <laughs> ah, just what I suspected, huh? <laughs> I mean, what part of Belgium are you from? From Moulinbeek, Saint-Jean. Is that anywhere near Brussels? Well, you know, in a country so small, most anything would be close to Brussels. 
Oh, I don't know. How about Detroit? <laughs> That's pretty far from Brussels. Yeah, I guess so. You're the Belgian war groom, I presume, eh? Chico? No, I'm Hey, not. I used to have a brother named Chico. Huh? <laughs> well, it wasn't me. It wasn't you. Oh. Could be. <laughs> Chico Telez, huh? What kind of a name is that? That's not a Belgian name, huh? What nationality is it? It's there? a Spanish name. Where Where are you from? Mexico. <laughs> I suppose you were married in Hungary, huh? <laughs> what kind of work do you do, Chico? I'm are you in love, happy? <laughs> I'm a student at Art Center, and I'm a photographer. What sort of work did you do in Belgium before you were captured by uh, Chico here? I was secretary. You were a secretary? Mm-hmm. What were you doing for Uncle Sam when you met uh, Lillian? Uh, I was in the signal corps in the photographic section, in the army, of course. Yeah. Were you right up front? Uh... Naturally, I couldn't get out of there. Do you have any little Brussels sprouts, Lillian? Brussels <laughs> No, not yet. You have a delightful accent, Lillian. You speak English very well for us. Thank you. How long did it take you to learn it? About three years. Three years. You're very quick to learn. Do you speak any other languages? Yes, uh, French and, and German. I speak a number of languages myself, you know. Should we have a little conversation in Belgium? In what? In Belgium? Just you and I, yeah? In Belgium? That would be impossible. Don't you speak Belgian? Nobody speaks Belgian. There isn't such a language. <laughs> well, frankly, I don't speak it very well myself. Why don't the Belgians have a tongue of their own? That's because there are two types of people in Belgium. Men and women? <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. They don't have men and women in Belgium? <laughs> yes, they do. You better clear too. up this whole thing, Lily. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they have men and women, all right. But um, what I mean by two types is that they have Walloon and Flemish people, and they both have a different language, see? Oh. Well, could you say something in Flemish? Could you tell me a short well, joke? Well, I'm from the French part. I don't know Flemish very well. Could you tell me a short joke in French? In French? Yeah. Yes, I could. Let's I... have one. Huh? Uh, you mean in French right away like that? Mom? Yeah, and then tell me what it means. Huh? Oh! <laughs> I guess I can get away with it. Well, um... <laughs> Well, clean it up a little, will you? Connaissez-vous l'histoire du monsieur qui qui fut réveillé à 3 heures du matin par le téléphone à 3 heures du matin et il se rendit compte que c'était le mauvais numéro. Alors le monsieur à l'autre bout de la ligne s'excuse de ce que ce soit le mauvais numéro et de ce qu'il est dérangé. Alors il dit oh, ça ne fait rien, de toute façon je devais me lever pour pour répondre au téléphone. Chico, did you understand that? Oui, monsieur. <laughs> He's really a brilliant linguist, this one. 
Well, Chico, explain. In, in, would you explain in English what she just told in French? I think she can explain it better. Well, you, you, Lillian, he's shoving it over on you, yes, huh? Yeah. You tell well, me what you said, huh? Something well, about the telephone, I guess. Yeah, there was something about it. Yeah. Well, it's all about a telephone, in fact. The what? Well, it's about a story of the man that was awakened by the telephone ringing at 3 o'clock in the morning, and so he went to answer it, you know, and he found out it was the wrong number. So the man at the other line uh, excused himself and apologized because he had, you know, waken him up. So he said, oh, it's all right. You're perfectly excused. I had to get out anyhow to, I mean, get up anyhow to answer the phone, see? So... <laughs> Well, if Leopold is smart, he'll never come back to Belgium. <laughs> now that you've lived in California, Lillian, what do you think of Americans? And speak frankly, I'll probably go to jail, but it'll be worth it. Huh? Oh, you won't go to jail for what I see. No. Well, no. how do American men compare with Belgian men as husbands? Well, uh, they're very different. Very different. Uh, see. You see, a Belgian husband is there. Uh, he has an air of superiority, and uh, he doesn't want to help his wife in the housework or anything like that, and he's just a boss, you know, that's all. Mm -hmm. And which system do you prefer? Oh, I think America is a wonderful country for women. <laughs> And that's just who it belongs to, too. <laughs> Chico, you were a sucker. You never should have left Belgium. <laughs> well, it, it's really been very interesting having you both here tonight, and I wish you a long and happy married life. Now, you're going to try for a chance at the $1,500 question. Beat the other two couples, and you win the chance at all that money. I can't tell you how much our other two couples won, but Fenham is going to remind our listeners. The housewife and the baby photographer are ahead with $250. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected composers of operas as your category. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now you have $20. How much are you going to try? Well, uh, we don't want... Is that all right, Chico? Mm, I suppose so. All right. Who is the composer of Carmen? Alim. Ambroise No. I got you. Got you on. No, I... I... I'm sorry, it was Bizet. Oh, yes. They now have $10. You were too Bizet to remember that. That's it. <laughs> well, now you've only got $10. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the $10 will you try? $5. $5. Who was the composer of Lohengrin? That's a good question. Uh, wait, wait. Can I see it? Oh, Wagner. Wagner is right. Uh... Well, they're gaining their money back. They now have $15. Chico, that was not only a good question, that was a good answer, too. <laughs> All right, now you got $15. Here's your third question. How much of the 15 will you bet? And remember, each of, either of you can answer this question. You know. Five. You're going to bet $5, huh? Ten. Ten dollars. <laughs> You're back in Belgium. Gotta He's be. the boss over there. Now. Yeah, I can see. All right. Who was the composer of The Marriage of Figaro? <clears throat> oh. Couldn't be Mozart, no. Mozart is right. Mozart. <laughs> Five dollars, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the twenty-five will you risk? Fifteen. Who was the composer of Rigoletto? Uh, is it Verdi? Verdi is right. 
And they wind up with $40. And that means the housewife and the baby photographer with $250 get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. And here's the housewife and the baby photographer, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. All right, here's the lady with the eels and the chocolate dips, and uh, we'll see how smart you are now. Here we go for $1,500. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. In the original Constitution of the United States, there are seven articles. How many amendments have been added to the Constitution? You must tell me exactly. What is the answer you two have decided upon? 22. No, no, I, I'm so, it's awfully close. There are 21 amendments to the Constitution. I'm sorry, that's the correct answer, 21 amendments. So that means the big question next week will be worth $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won uh, $250 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth... $2,000. I'd like to thank the readers of Radio Mirror Magazine for voting our show the best of its kind on the air. Well, Bing Crosby's all tuned up and ready to go, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. If you can't control your temper, you can't control your driving. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. That is You Bet, Your Life from April 12th, 1950, Secret Door. A secret word is door. They didn't, they Nobody didn't say guessed door. It. I would have said door. Nobody guessed door. I was just at the door. Yeah, I know you were. Groucho Marx with uh, George Fenneman there, sponsored by the DeSoto dealers. I don't think there's any DeSotos out there anymore. Well... It's, Do you drive a uh, DeSoto? I have an old DeSoto, yeah, 1947 DeSoto. Yeah, and I have um, I have a Yugo. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, that was a funny show I was heard on NBC. In just a moment, we'll take a break, and then it's more. But I want to remind everybody listening to uh, look into the Classic Radio Club. Go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. Well, don't just look into it. We're going to give you the chance to actually join and be a member of the Classic Radio Club, and that is a gift. Yeah. 
to allow you to become a member for only one dollar well, for the first month. Yeah, that's and that's not bad. pretty exciting. Gosh. You $1. even probably have a dollar on you. Well, I actually don't, but <laughs> Lisa, to, Lisa carries no cash. I might be able to scrape goes. up some change no from cash. the bottom of my car. She has a I, credit card. But, but you no know what? That her. is the new way of life is no no cash, just credit card. You know what? That's even the new thing with restaurants. There are so many restaurants now that don't accept cash anymore, only credit card. Did you right. know that? Yeah. So what would you do, Carl? Well, I like to use cash. I know you do. Good old green It's kind of old school. I, I prefer the credit card. So for $1, you can join the yeah, Classic Radio can. Club the and first month. Get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. Just go to our website. Check it all out. It is ClassicRadioClub.com. We have hundreds and hundreds of fellow listeners, our members. You may want to be a member, too, so check I it out. I think you do. Yep.